Good morning. The scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 37 and 41 through 45. James and John, the son of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And said to them, What is it that you want to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as the rulers, Lord, it over them, and the great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For our reading our scripture lesson this morning, and wow, what a wonderful day it has been already. So many things to give thanks for uh, our midst. We've been blessed by Mimi's baptism. It's always a joy to be a part of something like that and just been blessed by the great music. And, you know, this is the time of year we reflect upon all of those things that we're thankful for, how blessed we are. I want to invite you for a moment, if you haven't already done so, it's in, we handed out this morning a handout, and we try to provide for you a study guide each week for you to read the Bible daily on your own. So I hope you'll take that home. I hope you'll take the time to do that and make that a part of your daily discipline of reading God's Word. There's also a place for you to make notes there of things you might want to remember this morning as the Spirit may prompt you to do so. But uh, let's center ourselves and prepare ourselves for this time together in God's Word, moment of prayer. <clears throat> Gracious God, how thankful we are. We just think about all the blessings. It is that time of year when we reflect upon it. And forgive us, God, that we don't reflect upon it every day because every day you shower your blessings upon us. You're always there for us. Even in the midst of difficult times, we look back and we see how your hand carried us upheld us. Thank you for your love and your grace. Um, We ask now that as we look at your word and seek its meaning for our life today, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts, our minds to your word, that it may shape us in the people you call us to be. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this Sunday, we're actually concluding a series of sermons that we've been involved in where we've been asking you to ask the question, how will you measure your life. And each week, we've been asking you to wrestle with this question of, you know, how do I currently measure my life? How should I measure my life? And how will my life be measured by God in the end? And each one of these uh, sermons that we've we've been talking about over the last three weeks, we've looked at how the world measures our life and determines whether we're successful or not. But what we've really been focusing on is how Jesus answers that question. The first week, we uh, talked about how the world measures our lives by our achievements in life, by our status, by our uh, statistics in life. And yet, we came to understand that that's really not an adequate measure of our lives. Because you can rack up great achievements in your lifetime. You can can, uh, set records when it comes to uh, sports or, you know, productivity or whatever it is, you know, touchdowns and interceptions, whatever. You can great great statistics, and yet you can still be a horrible person. And so this really is not to be the measure of our lives. As important as our achievements are, they're really not the most important 
measure of a human's life. <clears throat> so instead, Jesus tells us that we're going to all be measured by the harvest that we produce in God's eyes. And we looked at the parable of the sower as a the way to talk about this. We learn how this farmer goes out and he sows seed on various types of soil. And Jesus says that the purpose of our lives is really to be like that good soil that produces a, a good harvest uh, full of fruit. And the kind of fruit that he wants us to produce in this lifetime is what we call love, uh, how well we love. And, and the kind of love that Jesus is talking about is not this warm, fuzzy kind of love like Valentine's Day and other things. It's, it's the, a sacrificial kind of love, an agape kind of love. It's where you put the needs of others above yourself. It's where you're always looking for how to bless somebody else, how to encourage others or build others up. Uh, and we talked about how the most important setting where this life of love should be lived out is within our own families. This is God's plan. This is how God is uh, trying to change and to save this world. It's through people like us trying to live out this love, Christ, Christ-like kind of love in our dealings with one another. Last week, we uh, talked about another way that uh, the world measures our lives, and that is by our net worth. It's how much money, how many possessions we're able to accumulate in this lifetime. And you know this. I mean, we all do this. I mean, we measure our own lives. We measure the lives of others by uh, what kind of house they have, by what kind of neighborhood they live in, what kind of car they drive, what kind of clothes they wear, and, and, and the list goes on and on. Uh, but again, we came to realize that you can end up being the richest person in the world and still be a horrible person. So this cannot be the real measure of a person's life. We looked at Jesus' parable of the talents to talk about this. And this is, um, uh, we learn how that God is really not interested in how much we're able to accumulate in this world. It's what we do with what we have. How we seek to make a difference in this world through the use of our resources. So we learned that what God is going to measure our lives by is generosity. It's how much we're willing to give back to God and give to, to those people around us who are in need. It's about how did you make a difference in this world through the generosity of your time, your talents, your abilities, and your resources. This is how we're going to be measured. <clears throat> Today we're going to look at another way the world measured us, and this is by the power that we have. Now most of us don't think about this when it we look at our own lives, uh, power. We, we say of other people, you know, that, that person's on a power trip or that person's just trying to get more power. But we really don't think about it for ourselves. But the truth is society does use this as a way to measure our lives. Um, according to the um, Merriam-Webster's definition of power, this is what it says. Power is the ability or the right to control people or things. It's listed as part of the top three that they say men are most interested in, you know, money, sex, and power. It's all about control. It's about influence over others. <clears throat> I mean, at the very least, all of us want to have control over our own lives, right? I mean, we want to be in control of our own destinies. We don't like it when other people are over us. To be able, you know, we don't like it when other people try to tell us who we are or what we can do. We don't want to be under other people. We want to be self-determining as a people, right? In fact, here in America, we're willing to fight and die for that. And this is not necessarily a bad thing, but the more control that we have and the more influence we have over others, the harder it is for us to accept other people's desire to be in control of their lives. And, you know, if, you, if you're in a position of power over others, maybe as a CEO or a manager or any kind of position where you have power and influence over others, 
it's hard not to get angry when the people you are over start telling you no, right? (laughs) This is is part of life. This happens in the the business world. It also happens in a lot of other areas in life. I remember when I was on the track team in high school, and uh, I was so excited that uh, my best friend and I got to be chosen to be on the track team together. But something happened to my friend when he became captain of the team. I mean, suddenly, he, he, he became a real jerk. <laughs> I mean, uh, this position of power just changed him. And uh, nobody wanted to hang around him in that way. Just, it's interesting what power often does to people, <clears throat> positions of power. I was in the store not recently, and, or just recently, and I was checking out, standing in line to check out, and there was this woman in front of me who was trying to return a shirt that she had purchased that, I don't know, didn't fit, she didn't like it or whatever, but she was trying to return it, and she didn't have the receipt. The clerk was trying to explain to her that the policy of the store is if you don't have a receipt, we can give you a store credit, but we can't give you your money back. But that was not what she wanted to hear. And so she became very agitated, and she became very hostile toward this clerk over this $15 shirt. <clears throat> and as I listened to this woman uh, really lash out at this clerk, I began to think to myself, wow, I mean, what is the price of your character? Is it $15? For $15, are you willing to berate another human being and to tear them down just to try to get what you want your way? You begin to see what I'm talking about when it comes to power and how it affects us. Lord Acton, who was a famous British historian, said this. He said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You think about that. I mean, the, the horrible things that we've seen committed against humanity over the last hundred years, how many of those acts were committed by people that were tyrants and dictators who had absolute power, like genocides and holocausts? So power cannot be the the measure for our life or what it's all based upon. It just can't be about how many people we have under us, how many people we can boss around, how often we're able to get our way whenever we want it. There's got to be something more. This simply cannot be the basis for measuring our lives. And I saw a quote from Forbes magazine which said, some of the most famous and effective CEOs have been, let's face it, complete jerks. (laughs) In fact, jerkiness seems to correlate well with strategic boldness. That's very interesting. Some of the most successful CEOs in the business world today are really complete jerks. (laughs) They're people who like to boss others around, put other people in their place, uh, make others feel small, and um, really just, they could be real jerks. But here's the unfortunate thing, is that in our society, those people who are real jerks can get a lot done, at least in the business world. These people come in and they can they fire everybody and they put all the employees in their place and, and the company loves them because they end up making the bottom line uh, good for the company. But the people that are hurt in the wake of their jerkiness um, cause them to question the real measure of their lives. I think CEO uh, John Henry Patterson um, was the CEO, actually, of of, uh, NCR, National Cash Register, back in the 1800s. This is a a picture of him. And uh, they they believe that this is where the the phrase, he's the one who originated the phrase, you're fired when somebody is terminated. You ever wonder why we say that uh, when somebody is terminated? We say, you're fired. Uh, Well, the story is told about 
uh, this guy, uh, John Patterson, that uh, he was a brilliant man. He did many innovative business practices. He was just known to be tremendously successful in the business world, but he was very hard on his employees. <laughs> it is said that when an employee uh, was unsatisfactory to him or did something he was not happy with, if their desk was on the first floor, he would pull it out into the front yard. If their desk was on the second floor, he'd push it out the window and uh, into the, uh, the yard. And then when they came back, he would pour kerosene over their desk, take a match, and light their desk on fire. Thus the phrase, you're fired. <laughs> so uh, uh, some, sometimes he'd even do this to people who he really intended on hiring back, but this is his way of breaking their spirit, of having them submit to his rule and control. But, you know, is that really to be the measure of one's life? He was brilliant. He had very successful, and yet is this the kind of person that you want to have as uh, someone you idolize and measure in your life? Or is there something different that we need to look at? And if you think this quest for power was just something about uh, power-hungry CEOs or you know, adults, I, I was recently watching a couple of children in the nursery. <coughs> and um, th- th- these, both of these children were under a year old. They couldn't even talk yet. But I watched this one little girl go up to the uh, shelf where the toys are, and she pulled a toy down from the shelf. And this other little girl saw it, and she ran over to her and ripped the toy out of her hands and took it for herself. So the other little girl goes and she gets another toy. And this girl sees she's got another toy. She, drops, she runs over and she rips that toy out of her hand and takes that. And I said, wow, you know, I've been watching this for a while. Uh, and uh, the other girl would drop the toy that she had in order to go get the toy that the other girl had. And she did this four times while I was standing there watching. Now, don't worry. This was not at our nursery here in church, so I'm really not talking about <laughs> your, your children or grandchildren. So I go, okay, not my child. <laughs> But I just thought it was really interesting uh, that, you know, you're not even to the point where you can speak yet. And we have this something within us that uh, when you see something we want, we're willing to go get it at all cost. And the truth is that that little girl, she didn't even want that toy until she saw that the other girl had it. And and then she went to get it. And that says something about us as well, I think. So uh, this other girl was bigger. Uh, She... um, she was stronger, I guess. She had the ability to go over and rip it out of the other girl's hands. So in a way, she had power over the other girl. And we see this in a lot of areas. We see it in elementary school. We see it uh, especially in middle school, uh, junior high, when you get the real meanness comes out of kids and the bullying and so on. Uh, we also see this in politics. I mean, we hope that when we elect somebody into office, they're going to be a public servant, putting the needs of the people above themselves. And yet, so often when they get in those positions of power, they become self-serving positions. They hold on to power at any expense. Well, we all wrestle with this quest for power in one way or another at all stages of our lives, but we're not the first to wrestle with this. The apostles also struggle with this, and that's what we see in our scripture lesson for this morning. There are actually three times in the Gospels where we have the disciples of Jesus arguing amongst themselves who is going to be the greatest among us. Now, when I read that, it's all, it, just, it always strikes me. I said, really? <laughs> these, guys, these are the people who Jesus chose to be his disciples. They traveled him for three years. They watched out. He served and reached out to the least and the lowly and the outcasts and the marginalized of society, and he served them in all those ways. And yet, here they are arguing among themselves, which one of us is going to be the greatest? And what I think this is really about is which one of us is going to be in charge. It's about power. At this point in the scripture lesson, um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. 
<clears throat> the disciples believe that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to establish himself as the king of Israel. He's going to rightfully take the throne and he's going to cast out the Romans and he's going to lead the Jewish people into a golden era. I mean, that's what people believe the Messiah would do. And so they are now arguing among themselves that when Jesus gets and sets up his kingdom, who's going to sit at the right? Who's going to sit at the left in those positions of power? In Mark chapter 9, Jesus hears them arguing about this on another occasion. And uh, he stops as they're walking and he says, really, guys, are you kidding me? And then he goes over and he gets a little child. He places a child in his lap. And he said, this is what it means to be great in my kingdom. It's to be humble. It is to trust. It's not about power, guys. And then in John's gospel, we have the disciples with Jesus at the Last Supper. I mean, of all times, of all places. It's at the Last Supper. He's already taken the bread and the cup, and he's demonstrated to them in this way that he is going to die for the sins of the world. Then after the supper, they start arguing among themselves again. Which one of us is going to be in charge? I'm going to be in that position. It's not going to be you. It's going to be me. And Jesus hears this. And I can't imagine what he must have been thinking. But he settles this in a very powerful way. And that day in time when you entered into a house, there would always be a basin of water. People wore sandals. It was dusty. And they had a basin of water by the door where your feet could be washed when you come into the house. And if they had servants, the lowest of the servants would be the one that would wash the people's feet. Well, there was no servant at the upper room that night, but there was a basin of water there by the door. And yet not one of them would lower himself to wash Jesus' feet or any of the others. Because to do so, that was just beneath them. And uh, to do so would have communicated, if I wash your feet, that I'm subject to you, or you have more power, better position of status than me. And so none of them were willing to do this. So hearing them argue, Jesus goes over to the door. He picks up the basin of water, gets down on his knees, and he begins to wash their feet. And they're horrified by this. They can't believe Jesus is doing this. And then he says, do you get it now, guys? This is what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. This is what power is like in my kingdom. It is the power of serving others of humbling yourself. That's how you change and influence the world. The passage that we have before us today is actually in between those two instances. Jesus is on his way walking toward Jerusalem, and at some point along the way, James and John, two of his disciples, pull him aside, and they let him know that they want to be in a position of power when he gets into his kingdom in, in Jerusalem. Now, you remember that James and John were sons of Zebedee, which means they lived on the good side of town. Zebedee had the successful fishing business. He had lots of employees under him. Peter and his brother Andrew may have actually worked for Zebedee. And, uh, so it was only natural. It only seemed to, to fit that uh, James and John would be in a position of power over the others. <clears throat> but when they asked Jesus of this, he does something interesting. He, he calls them out. <laughs> he says, uh, wait a minute. Hey, guys, come over here. He calls all the other disciples to him. He says, guys, just want to let you know. James and John have just suggested to me that I put them on the, one on my right, one on my left when we get to Jerusalem. What do you think about that? Well, Scripture says they were angry at James and John. Why are they angry at James and John? Because they wanted to be in control. They wanted to be in that position. They beat them to the punch. And uh, so Jesus 
when they start arguing, they're angry with each other, he steps in and says this. He says, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over others, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. What Jesus is trying to say here is really important when it comes to measuring our lives. He's saying that leadership and greatness is not about how many people you can boss around. It's not about how often you're able to get your own way about things. He's saying, you know, I don't want you to be like those tyrants and rulers that you see uh, lording it over others. I want to see something different from you if you're going to be my followers. Then he goes on to say this. He says, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must, be serve, must serve, be a slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give a life as a ransom for many. I hear Jesus is turning this idea of greatness upside down. Uh, according to Jesus, greatness means that you're not always going to be at the top of the ladder, but rather at the bottom of the ladder serving others. This is how our life is going to be measured. And he teaches this over and over and over again. If you just read through the Bible, he's saying the, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. He says when you go to a banquet and you see that there's a seat of honor at the banquet, uh, don't sit there. Go to the lowest place. Because, you know, if you sit there, the, uh, the host, he, he may invite you if you're sitting in the lowest place to come up to the table to sit with him. But if you're already sitting there, chances are he might say, I, I need you to move because i got somebody else more important than you that I wanted to sit there. Don't assume that. He says, always pursue humility. Always think of yourself as being a servant of others. Ask the question every day, Lord, what can I do to serve you today? I mean, if Jesus, you call him Lord, he is your master. He is the source of your power. So every day we're meant to ask the question, here I am, Lord. Send me, use me. How can I make a difference for you today? Greatness, real power. And his kingdom is about serving others. It's not about being served. So we think about Jesus. You know, he's, he was the most powerful individual figure that ever walked the face of this earth. He had the power to command legions of angels. He had the power to bring people who were dead back to life. He had the power to overcome death himself. And yet he washed his disciples' feet as an example for how they had to live by. And those of us who claim to be his followers are called to do the same. This is how life will be measured, he says. He goes on in Matthew chapter 25. Now, that is the last week of his life. He tells three parables. We looked at one of them last week when we looked at the uh, uh, the parable of the talents. And today, I want to briefly look at this passage of the the parable of the sheep and the goats. You remember this story. Uh, Jesus says, there's going to be a time when I'm going to come back again in all my glory. And I'm going to, when I get there, I'm going to bring the, the, the angels, the legions of angels with me, and we're going to take the people on the earth. We're going to separate them uh, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And after separating them, he's going to say to the sheep, he's going to say, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Again, you, you know this story. It's one we've heard a lot. Of course, when you hear this story, you're meant to ask the question, Well, am I a sheep or am I a goat? And Jesus gives the criteria by which that's going to be determined. He, he says to the, the sheep, he says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And this is the criteria by which our lives are going to be measured. He makes it pretty clear here. 
And so the goats, he says, are going to say to him, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? Why are we being cast away? I mean, we are followers too. We went to church every Sunday. But Jesus is going to say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. I was sick. You didn't care for me. I was naked. You didn't give me clothes. I, I was in prison. You didn't visit me. And the interesting thing about this story is that both the sheep and the goat are shocked. They're shocked by what Jesus says. They all say, well, what do you mean we didn't do it to you, Jesus? We didn't see you. We, if we'd have seen you, we would have fed you. We'd have clothed you. And he says, you remember, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you also did it to me. Or if you failed to do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. So it's pretty clear how Jesus is going to measure our lives. Greatness. Greatness is measured by how well you serve. It's about paying attention to the needs of others around you. It's about putting the needs of others above yourself. It's about how well you offer yourself to God and how well you offer yourself to others who are in need. Which is why these three things we've been talking about, love, generosity, and service, all go hand in hand as being measurements of our life. Now, I know that I'm talking to the band or the choir, because the truth is all of us, here, I, I believe most of you here this, in this church uh, do this. You, you try to live this way. And so today I'm really uh, uh, commending you on what you've been doing, how you've been making a difference for Christ. <clears throat> this last month we uh, collected, throughout the month of October, stuffed animals for the Zachary Police Department and first responders to be able to give to uh, children who are traumatized in this community when they encounter them. And through your generosity, we were able to collect 300 stuffed animals. And I'll picture this here. Um, when they came when they came to pick up those animals they began to share with us the stories of the difference how how grateful they were that we do this but also the difference it could make by placing one of these animals into a child's life that's been traumatized or they're scared i think when god looks at that he says well done good and faithful servants i am this is what it means, I think, to make a difference in this world. We had a prayer service here not just a couple of weeks ago for our Kids Hope Ministries. This is where we adopt children and a couple of the schools here that are in need. And we have each one of them has a mentor that meets with them once a week, one hour a week. And um, we had they read the names of all the kids that we're mentoring. That's almost 30 children that we have mentors for. And each one of those mentors have a prayer partner's church. So we involve a lot of people in this. But when you listen to the stories shared by those mentors, of the difference that it's making in those children's lives and in, in the mentors' lives, it's truly heartwarming. And I just, again, I believe God looks at that and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I think back on the, uh, the flood disaster that we had here a little over a year ago, I know it seems it's been over a year, but we've still been heavily involved in helping people get back in their homes. We're working volunteers. We have money that we're donating to, to help financially with the needs that are out there. In the past three months, we've actually put six more people back in their homes for a total of 36 families. This church has directly been a part of helping them recover and get back into their homes. Uh, what amazing that is. And then in addition to that, we collected 100 flood buckets. Uh, we uh, 250 health kits. We had over $3,000 that we sent to the victims in the recent hurricanes in uh, uh, Texas and in Florida. Again, I think when God looks at that, he says, well done, good and faithful servants. When I see the people in this church going to visit and to, to uh, deliver meals and to deliver the sacraments to the elderly and the homebound and those in nursing homes in this church, 
I think God looked at that and says, well done, good and faithful servants. And I could go on and on with the, the ministries that, that you're making happen in the life of this church. This is how our lives will be measured. And what we find is that when we serve other people, it takes the focus off of ourselves and it's replaced with a joy that comes through serving. You, we find joy, we find purpose in life when we help others to experience that. This is how life is to be lived. So according to Jesus, the way that our lives are going to be measured are how well we love. It's going to be measured by how generous we are, <clears throat> recognizing that our resources, we've been blessed so that we might be able to use our resources to be a blessing to others. And our lives are going to be measured by how well we serve as God's servants. So the question that you and I need to ask of ourselves this day and every day is how will our life be measured? How will your life be measured? And how is God? What is he going to say to you when you get to that end of your life? Well done. Let's pray. Lord, we just offer ourselves to you today. All that we are and all that we have, God, we seek to offer to you and to glorify you. We pray that you might use us. We pray that you would help us to see the world as you see it and to use us as instruments of your healing where there's brokenness, light where there's darkness. God, help us to love. Help us to give. Help us to serve. In your holy name we pray these things. Amen.